Thank you, our Father, for your goodness and grace towards us, both individually and as a church body. We thank you for leaders that you have given us in this body who have cared well for us, who have sacrificed themselves and given up of themselves so that they might serve us, so that we might walk with you more faithfully. I thank you for our brother Greg, and thank you for David and Keith and Don and Lee, faithful brothers, faithful men who care well for us. And this is your provision for us. Men who don't lord it up over us, but men who walk alongside of us and instruct us and help us and pray for us. And thank you, Father, not only for these men that you have given us, but thank you for the word you have given us that instructs us as to how we live. And might this word resonate in our hearts this morning and transform us in such a way that we are diligent, faithful, persistent to excel still more in the calling to which you have called us. And Father, would, would we be a testimony for the love of Jesus Christ in this community and well beyond because of the way we care for one another? And might your gospel grow and expand and your kingdom mature because of the way we care for one another? Would you guide us this morning as we make our way through this text? And would you change us by it? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I've been asked many times over the years and most often by visitors, what, what is your vision for the church? In all honesty, I haven't always known how to answer that question because sometimes that question implies a whole number of other kinds of things like, how big do you see the church being in five years or ten years? Or what programs are you planning to develop? Or what buildings are you planning on building within the next five years? And there are answers to some of those questions, but honestly, most of those things are well beyond our control. We cannot force people to visit the church, to attend, to join, and to stay. So numbers are beyond our ability to control. We can plan for ministry, and we do plan every year for ministry, but the needs of the, of the body and the needs of the community can change exceedingly rapidly. Anybody remember March of 2020, for instance, and COVID? That turned the last two years really on its head in multiple ways. And ministry is also dependent on the gifting and availability of other members of the body. So we can plan for buildings, and we have. And we have some really pretty drawings over on that wall for what we envision life might look like in the next few years. But the ability to do those things is dependent on people coming and people giving, and that's well beyond our abilities to control. So the answer to the question, what's your vision for the church, and oftentimes is 
is simply, uh, uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's really unanswerable. But there are components of that question that really are answerable. So someone asked me the question recently, what is mission critical for Grace Bible Church to flourish? That's a great question. I found that question easy to answer. This is what I told him. Love and care of people, which means biblical instruction and biblical fellowship. We preach the gospel and then we teach the gospel and we train and we equip for a ministry and then we send people out to care for one another. That's mission critical. Our motto around here is shepherding God's people by God's grace for God's glory. We care for one another by preaching the gospel and then equipping with the scriptures by the power of the spirit of God so that God is seen in everything we do. We, in a word, care well for one another. That's our vision. Caring for God's people. Now, that's always been the vision for the church of Jesus Christ. In the second century, Tertullian, a theologian based in North Africa, envisioned unbelievers saying this about the church. Look how they love one another, for they themselves are pagans and hate one another. And look at how they are ready to die for each other, for they themselves are readier to kill each other. In other words, the church ought to stand in marked contrast for the way we care for one another inside these walls in comparison, or in contrast rather, to how people outside these walls care for one another. And and that was the desire of Tertullian, was the reputation of the church in much of the ancient world. The Greek philosopher, unbeliever, unbelieving philosopher Lucian, in the second century, observed that the care for, the, observed the care of believers for one another and said this, quote, It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put it into their heads that they are brothers. Indeed, he has. We are brothers, and we care well for each other as brothers. And as we think about the ministry of Grace Bible Church and where we are heading in 2022 and beyond, we cannot do better than to reaffirm our commitment to love one another well, to care well for one another, to uphold each other, and to minister well to one another. In in God's grace... That is our reputation in this community, that we are a loving body of believers. And that's the reputation as well for people inside the body. We don't do it perfectly. So there are still a few of us in a few places in the body that have some remaining flesh. A few of us. But by and large, we do this well. We care well for each other. We're attentive. We're sacrificial. We're giving. And the Lord is seeing fit to expand our influence, to expand our body, and to give us increasing ministry opportunities. And as that's happening, we don't want to lose what we have. And so in 2022, we want to be sure to attend to the basics and to reaffirm the fundamental priorities of the church. And our goal this year is to love and care for one another well 
with excellence more and more to excel still more. These priorities are articulated for us in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and we're going to find this in verses 9 to 12 of chapter 4, that believers in Christ cannot love each other too much. Now, there are unbiblical and ungodly ways to love each other, which really aren't love. They're manipulation and control and and self-love. So there are ways to do that incorrectly. But we cannot practice godly biblical love too much or too often. No matter how well we are doing in loving each other, there is always ability and need to love more. I think often about something that I read from John Piper years ago. Being loved is not essential. Loving, not being loved, is essential. That is 180 degrees different from what the culture is telling us. The culture says, make sure somebody loves you. Be loved. Make sure somebody cares for you. And if somebody doesn't, be sure to engage in self-care because you're the priority. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I am not the priority. Others are the priority. We do not need to be loved. We do need to love. It's necessary to care well for one another. In this passage, verses 9 to 12, we're going to find four aspects of loving care. Four aspects of loving care in the body of Jesus Christ. Believers in Christ cannot love each other too much. Four aspects of loving care, the first of which is in verse 9 and the first part of verse 10, a commendation of loving care. A commendation of loving care. Notice Verse 9, and I'm skipping over some background information. We just don't have time. But this was a persecuted church. This was a suffering church. It was a place where the Apostle Paul had a very short amount of time to spend with them because they were persecuted. This was a church that was in the midst of a very perverse culture, a wicked culture, a culture that was known for its worldliness. And they were attempting to stand strong in the midst of that to be different and separated from the world. And as Paul comes to the conclusion of this letter, verse 1, and then again in verse 4, he says essentially the same thing. Verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us, instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, that you excel still more. Verse 9, Now as to the love of the brothers, you don't need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another for you do it indeed practice it toward all the brethren that are in Macedonia. And and the whole idea in these this opening section is on is on the love and the care of the body. In fact in verse 9 he uses two different words to express the importance of loving the body. Verse 9 now as to the love of the brethren that phrase love of the brethren is actually one word in the Greek text it's the word Philadelphia. So it's a, a familial kind of love. It's a, it's a brotherly kind of love. It's the kind of affection that, that brothers give for one another. Often in the Greek language, it would be used of fathers and their relationship with their sons. And then 
at the end of this verse, in verse 9, he says, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That's a different word. It's not the word Philadelphia. It's the word agape or agapao, the verbal form you're familiar with. You've heard that word many times probably. It's the covenantal love that we have for one another. It's the loyal love. It's the steadfast love of God. And what the apostle is reminding us in this verse is the importance and the significance of loving one another well. It has been noted that that he is emphasizing particularly the love and affection that we have brotherly one for another and one for one another. And that's certainly true. We we have this Philadelphia love, right? Brother love, brother affection. We stand up for one another. We defend one another. And it's been noted that this word is never in the Greek culture, never used in any of the writings to speak of relationships outside the family. It's always used only within the family. So never would one friend say to another friend, I have this kind of love. And so the apostle, when he takes and imports this word and uses it in the context of the church family, is saying even though we are not biologically connected, we are integrally connected with one another. It's really essential. And some have said, well, he's also drawing a distinction between this Philadelphia kind of love and an agape kind of love, a loyal kind of a love. I don't think the apostle's doing that. I think he's just finding two different words to emphasize the same truth. That's often the way biblical writers work it. In fact, in John 21, that's the very thing Jesus did. He took these same kinds of words, two different kinds of love, and applied them to the apostle Peter and says, you need to love the body. You need to love the sheep that have been placed under your care. This is essential. It's critical. It's always been this way. It's not just the people of, it's not just a, for people in the church. It's for people who are the people of God. So way back in Leviticus, when it was just God and Israel, he said something very similar in Leviticus 19, that we are to love, that the church, that the people of Israel were to love one another. This has been reinforced by Jesus Christ in John chapter 13, and John, uh, John chapter 13, right before he goes to the cross. He reminds the disciples, by this all men will know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. The most critical thing that you can do in caring for one another is loving one another. It's what, it's what, um, what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, right? Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another, chapter 13, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbors fulfilled the law. We need to love one another, care for one another, hold one another up. This point is to reinforce this idea that love is fundamental to the body of Christ. The body is not doing what it is called to do if it doesn't love. It doesn't matter how many people are evangelized. It doesn't matter how many people are baptized. If the church is not loving, it's malfunctioning. And Paul says there are two reasons for this admonition that he is giving. In fact, he 
He is saying you need to love one another. But then he also says in verse 9, you have no need for anyone to write you. And two reasons why no one needs to write them. No two reasons why, why no one needs to tell them you ought to love. Because, verse 9, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You, you already know this. God's already taught it to you. How has God taught it to them? I think he gives us a hint in verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the Holy Spirit has been given to you. And if you don't love well in the body of Christ, and in verses 3 through 8, he's talking about sexual purity in relationships and making sure that you're loving well in that way and not going into sexual sin. You've been taught that by the Spirit of God who has been given to you. And so when he says in verse 9, you yourselves are taught by God to one, love one another, I think he's, he's simply alluding to what he's already said. You have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has taught you this in his word. You know this by the Spirit and by the word. The other reason that they don't need to be told to love one another is given to us at the beginning of verse 10, because you already indeed practice this toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. They're, they're already doing it. You don't need anybody to tell you to do it, but because you're already doing it, you, God's taught you and you do it. And, and notice the extent of how they do it. You practice it, he says, toward all the brethren. No exceptions. They are universally loving, gracious and kind. And not just toward all the brethren in their particular body, but notice what else he says. Toward all who are in all Macedonia. So Thessalonica was one of the main cities in, Thessal- in, in Macedonia, along with Philippi and Berea. And I think he's probably alluding to those other churches, those other cities, both of which also were persecuted places. And he says, not only are you loving one another well, but you're branching out to care for other people, other churches in other places and extending the love of Christ to them as well. He's probably emphasizing that they're caring well financially for those other churches. The Thessalonians had learned their lesson of loving well. Their reputation was well established. They did what God had commanded and frankly, you couldn't ask for much better con- commendation than what Paul is giving the Thessalonians. <laughs> You're doing it well. I don't need to tell you. You're doing this with excellence. And likewise, I think about Grace Bible Church and I think about how we care for one another, both formally and informally. And, and brothers and sisters, you're doing it well. There's a sense in which I don't need to stand up here and tell you, be sure to love one another. Give each other a holy hug, pray for each other, care for each other, give to one another. You're already doing it. In fact, I had somebody tell me recently, you know, we, we only started attending like we'd only been like a couple of times and we got COVID and we were sick and the meals started pouring in. That's right. The meal train, man. It's coming. If you don't want meals and you're sick, you better hit the brakes hard and fast because they're coming. There's just, honestly, he was overwhelmed by the expressions of love. That's, it's just what we do. 
We care well for each other. Thessalonica was doing well. And we're doing well. But Thessalonica still needed an encouragement and an exhortation. And brothers and sisters, we do too. And the exhortation is this. An exhortation to more loving care. And this is where we're going to park most of our time this morning. Love even more. I don't know about you, but the hardest part of the spiritual life is often the need to continue and to persist. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'll assume most of you have grabbed a Bible reading plan for 2022 and January 2nd, you are right on target. I mean, it's hard not to be right. So at least the one that we produced January 1 was a Saturday and Saturday's a day of reflection, which means you don't have to read. And today is Psalms 1 to 3. So on my Bible, it's like barely a page in the text. And it's poetic, so it's like short. So nobody's behind. But the hard part is, are you still going to be there on September 29? Right on target. It's hard, isn't it? Doing it once is okay. Doing it 500 times. I don't know how many times I've sat in a counseling room and someone has said, I just can't imagine having to do this for the next 42 years. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's hard. Because of that, because of the need to persist, Paul says, we urge you, brothers. It's an exhortation. It's it's an encouragement. It's the coming alongside and putting the arm around him and saying, let's go. We can do this. In chapter 3, he has given something of that exhortation already. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in your love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. That's what the apostle is talking about here. I, I want you to continue to abound. That's been what he's been praying for. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3. And now he's exhorting it. Side note. It's not enough to just say, well, I prayed about it, but it didn't happen. It's good to pray about things. God, would you change my heart? Would you transform me? Would you, would you give me diligence? Would you give me faithfulness? Brothers and sisters, sometimes we need to stop praying. We just need to stop, start acting because we know what to do. And that's what the apostle is calling us to. He says, I'm praying that this will happen, but, but you all just need to act on what you know to do. We urge you, we compel you to do what? And he's going to urge and compel four different things. There are going to be four verbal forms that follow this. And you see it in your text. End of verse 10. To excel. Verse 11. To lead a quiet life. To attend to your own business, thirdly. And then fourthly, to work with your own hands. All of those things are manifestations of what he is saying that they ought to be doing in loving one another. These are four ways to love one another well. And the first thing he says is you excel still more. To excel, to be prominent, 
to have an abundance, to abound. And not only to abound and to be abundant, but to do it still more. So it's like he says, keep doing it and keep doing it, right? So still more and still more. It's like keep doing this thing over and over. So just imagine for me a world in which a man goes to his wife and says, I love you. And she says, would you just stop saying that? You've told me that every single day that we've been married. I'm just tired of it. You don't need to say it anymore. Yeah, I can imagine that world. Not. 12,784 days ago, I asked Regine to marry me. If you want to do the math, that was 35 years ago today. And I think every day since then, I've told her, I love you. Most days, multiple times. Haven't done it perfectly. Haven't always done it well. But it's always been my commitment. And she has never said, oh, stop it. You just... You're just this big mush ball. And would you just stop? No. You can never love too much. You can never care too well. You can never expend yourself in serving others and helping others too much. Now, does it strike you as interesting that immediately after saying, you guys love so well, that he says, don't stop. Why does he do that? In fact, as, as you think about all the one another's, there are 58 one another's, 58 times in the New Testament epistles where the writers say, do something to one another or for one another, 58 times. And most of those, the majority of those, Relate to loving one another. Why is it that the apostle says love one another? Why is it the apostle says in Titus, teach women to love their husbands? You got to teach them to love the husband and to love the children. I mean, isn't the most natural thing in the world for a woman to love the child? No. It is against the flesh to love others. We have to be taught and we have to be exhorted still more. Keep working. Sacrificial love is contrary to the flesh and it is a learned behavior. And the tendency is always to move away from it and not toward it. And so the apostle says, you need an ongoing reminder To care well for one another. To love one another still more and more. So you do it well. Praise God. Keep going. Because it's against the flesh. It's not easy. Second exhortation to loving care. Be ambitiously restful. Notice what he says. Verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. He puts together two ideas that seem contrary, kind of like parking on driveways and driving on parkways. Uh, That doesn't make any, shouldn't we park on parkways and drive on driveways? And he takes these ideas 
that are contrary. Be quiet, gentle, and be ambitious. So be ambitious towards quietness. So someone has said that the sense of what Paul is saying here is, make it your ambition to have no ambition. Good word for January 2nd, I guess. The kind of rest, the kind of quietness here that he's talking about is the kind of quiet that comes when a war is over. There's calmness and tranquility. There's a sense of non-combativeness. And it's a reminder that in love, there's no strife, there's no conflict, but there is the presence of peacemaking and reconciliation. We're doing everything we can to be in harmony with others in the church body. Again, the the flesh is bent towards self-righteousness. The flesh is bent towards defensiveness and argumentativeness. And when we love one another, we're going to be pursuing reconciliation and peace and we're not going to be pursuing our own rights. And that's why he says in verse 13, chapter 5, esteem others, talking in the context about elders, esteem them very highly in love because of their work and live in peace with one another. Pursue tranquility. Pursue reconciliation. Pursue harmony. So our objective at Grace Bible Church is always to be pursuing restoration and reconciliation and preserving and keeping relationships. Don't walk away from relationships. I know at times there's a temptation when someone says, I've had it with you, I'm out of here. And I've had people say that. In so many words, I'm done. Sometimes it's like, good. I'm liberated. I'm free. I don't have to hassle with that person anymore. That is not what the apostle means when he says, make your ambition to lead a quiet life. Leading a quiet life means we're pursuing that person. To bring them back into the fold, to keep them in the fold. And that harmony is still present with that person. Be ambitiously restful. Pursue reconciliation relentlessly. Another way to care lovingly for one another is to keep your mind on your tasks. Paul's pretty blunt, isn't he? Middle of the verse, verse 11, to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business. I don't even have to paraphrase it very much. He's simply saying, mind your own business. And when you mind your own business, you're loving others in the body well. Now, what we might call self-attention in this verse is generally different than what is meant culturally by that phrase, mind your own business. In, In Thessalonica, there evidently were a group of people who were unruly and were involving themselves and the responsibility of others in ways that were inappropriate because he not only mentions it here, but again in his second letter in chapter 3, he says, verse 11, we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but actually acting like busybodies. 
Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Stop being a busybody and nosing yourself into other people's lives and telling them what to do. Stop being unrighteously and selfishly meddling in the lives of others. Now all that's got to be tempered, doesn't it? Because we do have responsibilities to care for one another. There is a time to be involved in the lives of other people. In fact, in the next chapter, chapter 5, he's going to say this in verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So there's a time to interject yourself. But the interjection is not out of selfish motives. What do I get out of this? But out of love to care for that person. So keep your mind on your task. What's your responsibility to the others in the body? And make sure that you're fulfilling that task. Sometimes it's going to be, you've got to come alongside someone and have a hard conversation with them and say, hey, brother, I saw you at such and such a place. What's going on? Or I I heard you speak to your wife in this way. Is there something I can help you with? It just seems like there's animosity. Can I come alongside you and help you? And there are other times that we're doing those things out of selfish gain and selfish attention. And that not never to be our motivation. So keep your mind on your task. What's God called me to do in this particular instance? And then end of verse 11, work hard. There are multiple admonitions in both these letters to Thessalonica to work hard. And it seems like there was a group of people in Thessalonica that had come to one of two conclusions. One conclusion was, and we're going to see that we would see this at the end of the chapter and then into chapter 5, Christ is coming soon, and He's coming so soon, we don't have to worry about working in order to get food and eat, because He's coming like right away, and so let's just quit our jobs and enjoy life and don't worry about work. So there was that possibility there seemed to be some in the body that were saying that and then there were others that were saying hey wait a minute the body is supposed to care for one another we're supposed to love one another and and provide for one another and so because you're supposed to provide for me i'm quitting my job and when's dinner and paul says no 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 we urge you brethren to excel still more and verse 11 to work with your hands just as we commanded you. Now, the Greek culture looked down at, at menial labor or manual labor and said, oh, that's, you know, that's just beneath us. We don't want to do that. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Manual labor is a good thing. Working hard is a good thing. Working for your food is a good thing. Work is good. And it's a gift from God. In fact, work existed before the fall. Adam had responsibilities before the fall. Now, it got harder at the fall. More sweat was involved and thorns showed up in the gardens that they never were there before. So work got harder. But work existed before the fall. Work is not a part of the curse. And work, Revelation 22, will be in heaven as well. The saints will serve God. It says in verse 3 of Revelation 22. So work exists prior to the fall and after final redemption. So work is a good thing. It's appropriate. And Paul says, work with your hands. In fact, he reminds them at the end of that verse, right? Just as we commanded you. It's a command. 
Just like the command to love one another. And so Paul would put this together this way. It's a joy of the church to care for those who have genuine need. We want to come alongside and help people who have genuine need. But it's also a joy for the individual to work faithfully and hard so he's not dependent on the church. I want to work so that I'm not dependent on the church. So that the the money that people might give to care of others can go to other places and serve other needs. So we love by giving generously and we love by working hard so we don't need care. Why? Why would we do that? For the purpose of expanding our gospel influence. This is the payoff. Why, why should people love well? Why should people invest in others? Why should people care about others? Because when you're, when you've done it 482 times and you're thinking, I've got to do it another 500 times before I die and you're weary, you're, one of the things you're thinking is, what's the payoff? So that, verse 12, here's the payoff. You will behave properly toward outsiders. And not be in any need. The payoff of working hard and loving well is I don't need others to care for me. And beyond that, the beginning part of the verse is particularly important. It is about proper behavior toward outsiders. So the outsiders look at the body of Christ and they say, wow, look how they care for one another. They treat each other well. So loving care for others and hard work are powerful testimonies to the world about the transforming power of the gospel. Which means when we take advantage of others and we say, hey, just, you know, what time's dinner? Can you pay my mortgage? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm not saying that we don't do those things. We do those things when people have need. We love to do those things when people have need. But if you have an ability to work and to labor, then loving the rest of the body well says, I'm going to work hard so that I don't become dependent on the body. And when we don't do that, when we live gratuitously and we say, it's all about me, come serve me, we damage the gospel influence. It's not just about making harder things harder in the body. It's about destroying the testimony of the gospel. When we fail to be generous towards one another, when we fail to love one another well, we destroy the message of the gospel. When we nya, 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 at each other, That's a technical Greek term. I don't know if you've heard that before. And we bite and devour. That is a biblical term, Galatians 5. The world looks at us and says, why would I go there? I got that at my job. I got that with my neighbor. I have that with my wife. They're no different than anybody else. Why should I be interested in them? Why should I be interested in Jesus? It's about the gospel. We need to be attentive to love one another, recognizing that our acts of love 
are about far more than just the particular need of the moment. Our acts of love are about creating a culture of care at which the world looks and says, see how they love one another. So that's the commendation. That's an exhortation. That's the purpose. What does it look like at Grace Bible Church? We've been loving well. What will it look like for us to keep loving well? Let me give you three broad categories with a few details built in. Loving care at GBC means being intentional in involving yourself spiritually in the lives of others. It's saying, I know there are people around me, some of whom even look like they've really got it pulled together and they need help in their walk with Christ. So what are some ways you can do that? Connect to a home group. Um, I'm pleased to say that something around the area of 70% of us are connected to a home group. Praise God. We need 100% connected to a home group. Because that's where spiritual care really takes place. One person integrating in the life of another to help. Connect to a home group. When in a gathering... Look for the lonely and the isolated. When you come on Sunday morning and there's hospitality and there's cheese and there's hot coffee when it's 22 degrees outside. It's easy to say, hey, there's my buddy. I'm going to catch up. But you're going to talk to your buddy sometime that week anyway. Can you find somebody else that you don't know that's standing alone, that's isolated, whose name you don't know? And interact with them and engage with them. Speak words of encouragement. Speak words of exhortation. Write a note. Make a phone call. Send a text. In the last few months, I've just been convicted just at a personal level. This isn't a biblical thing, but I'm just thinking, how can I demonstrate care? And so one of the things I've tried to do is I make a list every... I'll probably work on it this afternoon, actually, but either Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, I'm making a list. Who do I need to contact this week? And who do I need to send a note to? And I try to write four to six handwritten notes a week because there's just something about somebody taking a piece of paper and taking the time to write on a card something simple that says, I'm praying for you, right? So... Find a way to connect with another person to give a word of encouragement. Find someone to disciple or be discipled by someone and then find someone to disciple. Pray. Pray for individuals. When somebody comes up to you at hospitality time and says, man, I'm really struggling. I just don't know. I've got this decision to make at work and I don't know what to do. Put your arm around him and pray right then. I, I I say it to my shame. When I came here as a pastor, I didn't know how to do that. And it took one of our other elders who just did that all the time for me to say, yeah, I need to be doing that. And I've never put my arm around somebody's shoulder or said to him over the phone, hey, can I pray for you? Before we hang up, let me pray. I've never heard them say, no, don't pray for me. Whatever you do, don't pray. Yeah, always they want you to pray. And that's a comfort and that's a grace to them. 
So pray for individuals, pray for ministries, and pray for the participants and leaders of those ministries, missionaries, counselors. We've got, we've got 12 to 14 people every week who are coming up here, building into the lives of people, some of whom aren't, aren't believers. Are you praying for those counselors? Because I can promise you, having sat in the counselor's chair, there are times in that counselor's chair where they're saying, I don't know what to say. And they need you to pray for them so that they know what to say from the scriptures. And deacons and Sunday school teachers and Awana teachers and secretaries and musicians and elders and safety team and hospitality team and greeters. Are you praying for those folks? And pray for the progress of the gospel. You be intentional involving yourself spiritually in the lives of others. If one of you happens in 2022 to sin against another one, and I know that's not going to happen, surely not. But if you sin, can you go quickly and immediately and confess your sin fully for the sake of restoring relationship? That's caring well for one another. And then when you're sinned against, and that's going to happen too, can you be immediately ready to forgive? Just cultivate this heart of attitude that says, I want to forgive. We're going to restore. We're going to fix this thing. So be intentional involving yourself spiritually in the lives of others. Be intentional involving yourselves physically in the lives of others. And, and here I mean, are there practical needs to take care of in the body? Who's ill? Who needs a meal because they're ill? Or because they're ill, who needs an errand run or a task that is beyond them? Who needs their yard mode? That sounds ridiculous in January 2nd, but some of us have aerobic um, sprinkler systems in our yards and you have to mow even in the wintertime. So who needs, who needs a yard mode? Does someone need a job? Can you hire someone? Can you provide a job lead or a reference? Does someone need a bill paid? Does someone need a ride? Can you help with some physical building need? Is a repair at someone's house? A repair at the church that needs to be done, the church building. And just a hint, instead of saying, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, because who returns those phone calls? I think I've had one person call me one time and said, hey, you said if there's anything you can help me, I really could use some help with. Just almost never happens. Be specific. Can I make a neat meal? Can I bring you some soup? I always say it this way. I won't bring you soup, but I'll bring you some of Regine's soup. And she makes great soup. So I obligate my wife to care for another person. So can I bring you some soup? Can I, can I help you with your car? Can I give you a, lo- a lift to the auto mechanics shop? Can I ride with you? Can I... Whatever, whatever. Be specific about their circumstance, their need. And ask about a specific task. And then be generous and involved in meeting ministry needs. Gang, there there are lots of things that are going on here. Lots of formal ministries. And we continue to have needs. We need home group hosts and leaders. We need door greeters and safety. We need welcome center greeters. We need hospitality. We need audio and video tech support. Don't we need audio support, Mr. Treat? We need guys back there on the board. Those guys do a great job. They need some relief. Help them out. We need tear down and set up for Sunday mornings, except today we don't need tear down, and that's a grace. 
We need Wednesday meal, serving and cleaning up. We need Awana and Sunday school and children's church teachers and supporters or listeners. We need nursery workers. We need people who are trained to counsel. We have 14 people who are trained to counsel and we have a waiting list for people to want to get in and get some help. And let me just say, you are at, and this is not an exaggeration, you are at one of the preeminent places in the United States of America to get biblical counsel and training. Keith Palmer is on the board of ACBC. He gets phone calls all the time. Will you come and help me? Will you come and help me? Will you come and help me? And every Monday at 1030, he's sitting in the fellowship hall teaching how to do biblical counseling. And he's here. Man, why wouldn't we take advantage of that? So be trained to be a biblical counselor. Be trained to disciple. We're going to be rolling out more stuff this year about discipling new believers and old believers, helping people walk with Christ. Man, we need others to come alongside and just help someone walk through the basics of the spiritual life. That's what loving care has always looked like at Grace Bible Church. It's always been what we've done. And we need to still excel more. One of my favorite commentators wrote about this passage, quote, genuine Christian love is the one thing in the Christian life which cannot be carried to excess. Amen. We're doing that well. We care well for one another. Let us excel still more. Father, thank you for this reminder. Thank you, not only for the reminder, but thank you for the grace of what this church is and has been for so long. Thank you for the reputation that you have granted us to have in the community and within the church body. And we pray, Father, that we would not only rejoice in what you have done in the past, but that we would look forward to what you might do in the future. And that we would still excel more. Keep us persistent. Keep us persevering. Keep us laboring and working. At caring well for one another. That this place would continue. As ministry grows. As ministry expands. As people come. That this would still be a place. Whose hallmark. Is that they follow. The admonition of Jesus. Who said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If, when you have love for one another. Father, would you help us to excel still more in loving one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.